Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. The local Fishers News blog is a volunteer effort on my part. If you have any interest in local news in and around Fishers, check out my blog, LarryInFishers.com. You can sign up for email alerts anytime I post a new story and do that right on the blog and follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. Leah McGrath has been a Fishers City Deputy Mayor for about four and a half years. Leah is exiting City Hall in 2020 to pursue a new position in the private sector and has announced that she will be a candidate for an open Indiana House seat. I spoke with Leah McGrath midday, Thursday, December 12th. I'm at Fishers City Hall and I'm with Leah McGrath. Deputy Mayor for a few more days from the time we record this. And as he's going on to other things, I want to talk about what you've done here and where you're going. So, Leah, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we have lots uh, to talk about. Uh, You know, you entered your second story office uh, right here at City Hall as Deputy Mayor. I remember meeting you the first time in summer of 2015. It was in Mayor Fadness's Mm -hmm. office. I think he was jealous because I wanted to talk to you. I hadn't met you before. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, we, we talked quite a bit. I finally got to know uh, what you planned on doing. So an awful lot has happened uh, between now and then. So as you uh, prepare to depart as uh, the deputy mayor, share with me your most, most vivid memories of the job. Okay. Well, I mean, it's been such an honor to be a part of this um, extraordinary team of professionals and working with Mayor Fadness. I'm really grateful for the opportunities that he gave me as well to be a part of this team um, and to be part of Fishers during such transformation. As you recall, in 2015, that was the first year we were transitioning from a town to a city. We were working on our comprehensive plan uh, that we call Fishers 2040, which really helped bring uh, lots of different stakeholders together toward the vision of being smart, vibrant, and entrepreneurial. So we put a lot of words behind what does that mean. Um, so being a part of the last four years and a part of seeing that come to life, it looks entirely different than it did four years ago here in City Hall and also um, around the community. Um, I'm still dodging construction just coming over here because there's so much construction around here. Mm-hmm. It's here, at, uh, you know, near City Hall on the mm-hmm. ellipse here. Uh, and also, you know, right across the street, the construction is going on. But, you know, I, li- I moved here in 1991. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about culture shock. <laughs> The 1991 Fishers and the Fishers of today obviously is quite sure. different, but you've been a big part of that. Yeah. And I was going to ask this later, but since you brought it up, I'll ask it now. The comprehensive plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you were involved in the nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. that, and that was like, I can't even remember, couldn't count how many committees worked on that. Oh, my that. goodness. <laughs> uh, you were on some of them, and you kind of, you and the mayor sort of kind of kept an eye on it. Um, I think I'd like to ask you just, Someone living in Fishers, you're you're interested in the development of the city, right? But you're you're obviously not not you know, dived into it as many others are on these committees and people involved otherwise. 
So explain the importance of that comprehensive plan as the city begins uh, to develop even more. Absolutely. So I think with the comprehensive plan, what it allowed us to do is really shift from more reactive to proactive vision. Uh, and that was really important. So the a lot of people who live in Fishers are sometimes surprised to learn that our greatest percent of growth that we had in population actually happened from 2000 to 2010. That's where we saw 40,000 people move into Fishers. And it's so not, the school system will tell you. Right, exactly. If you and if you had kids in schools at the times, you would know it because there was con, you know, there was a period of time where a new school building opened every single year to keep up with that growth. So we actually had more development occurring between 2000 and 2010, but it was occurring in the form of neighborhoods, housing, people moving in. So what's happened since then from 2010 to 2020 is sort of all the development that follows those households. And that's really important in what the comprehensive plan allowed us to do was say, okay, we know this is coming. And actually it needs to come for us to be a complete community and a city that can be viable for the long-term financially, right? So we know, and you know, you you teach classes on taxes. (laughs) You understand. Okay, the secret is out now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But to be sustainable financially or fiscally for the long-term, you do need a mix of property tax types. So you need houses and you need office buildings and you need retail and all the things that make a community complete. So we knew that was coming. And what the comprehensive plan allowed us to do was to be really thoughtful about it. And um, if you look at the comprehensive plan, then you see the vision for how this, how we'd like to see the city or how we think we'd like to see the city develop. Um, over time so that it is it's done in a thoughtful manner and that allowed us to look at the way land is used the way our transportation systems for pedestrians and vehicles functions right alongside the way land is used for our park systems to make sure that you know we have we have absolutely amazing parks in our community and um, we're very fortunate so to make sure that that continues as residents are moving in that we continue with the level of and the number of park services for those residents. So that's what the comprehensive plan is about. Well, I, I remember uh, when uh, there was a survey done not too many years ago about how people felt about the parks. Mm-hmm. It was like 90% oh my gosh, knocked thought it out. our parks were outstanding, and you just don't find that in every community. So yes, yeah. the city has invested a lot in that, yeah. and I assume that's not going to end uh, as we grow. I want to ask you this question. I've seen, we'll know when we have the census next yes. year, or next year, a little after next year, but we'll, we'll have the data, but there's been, I've heard 92,000, I've heard 97,000. What's the best guess yeah. on the population of fishers right now? I, well, good question. I'm going to guess we're right around 95,000. The census is going to tell the story. We have a few spots um, on the east side of fishers that are annexing in that have just been a matter of timing and that won't be included in the census just it, because of timing. And some of it's voluntary. Abs- oh, all of it. Well, all of it yeah. is. I, yes. So <laughs> all just, of it's voluntary. You mentioned that, that it just makes sure people know it's all voluntary. <laughs> yes, yes. The people in the neighborhoods and the developers are wanting to join that's the right. city of Fishers. That's right. It's not so, Fishers trying to annex them. They want to come into Fishers. That's right. And so just from a timing perspective, uh, we're definitely going to be around 95,000, but in a few years we'll be at 97 easily as those come through. I've seen figures that say that once 
Fishers is built out as Carmel mostly is, mm-hmm. that we'll be at 140,000. Mm-hmm. Is that off? You know, our projections that we used with the comprehensive plan had us anywhere from 125 to 135,000 mm-hmm. at the end of uh, that planning process. It's all going to come down to the level of density and mm-hmm. how things really develop. I think it's probably around 125, 130,000. Mm-hmm. And part of that, one of the things that we did really intentionally as we've been executing on the vision of 2040 was even look at area on especially you'll see east fishers where we actually created some zoning that is more estate zoning so larger lots so we want to make sure that there's a mix of housing options uh, which is why i think you'll see it a little less than 140. Well, i remember that debate about the estate yeah and you're, in fact you're looking at a Did. map they have here in this uh, conference room we're at looking at the east side of Fishers, and there there were some discussion. You go to Carmel, you see those big estates, mm-hmm. and whether that the city wanted to mm-hmm. do that was, was a debate. There'll be some of that, mm-hmm. and there'll be the traditional you know rooftop mm-hmm. neighborhoods mm-hmm. also. Uh, just before we leave this, because this is where you've been involved quite heavily in mm-hmm. the city, what do you think, how, how do you, th- how, let me word it a little differently, how do you believe the property tax caps changed cities and municipalities mm-hmm. look at growth because when I first moved here, growth was rooftops. Yep. And now mm-hmm. with property tax caps, it's difficult to pay for your city services and just have rooftops. So it looks almost every community is looking at their commercial growth. So how did that impact all of your work as you were looking at the future of Fishers? Mm-hmm. Had a big impact. And I think that you've seen that impact across the state in that you know, we used to call them bedroom communities, meant that you had a city or a town, and there were communities, and that's what they wanted, right? They wanted to be a place, it had housing, maybe there was a school and a park, and that was it. It is probably impossible, actually, to fund a city or a town purely with housing, uh, because property tax caps, as you know, it's the one, two, three. So residents, Residential housing is capped at a 1% property tax cap. If you've got rental property, that's capped at 2%. And commercial, so whether that's retail, office, or otherwise, is capped at 3%. The majority of city funding comes from property taxes, but income tax is another area, um, is another source of revenue for municipalities. And so everyone has to look at that realistically to say, okay, well, if we want to be successful or be able to provide the services that are needed, infrastructure, roads, police, fire, public works, we've got to make sure that we have the appropriate mix of development that's going to sustain us for the long term. So actually, when we were doing our comprehensive plan and looking at land use, we had a um, consultant, a fiscal analyst, sitting alongside our committee helping us think through that. And it can come down to if you have an area that's zoned for Um, industrial versus office, there's an impact there when you look at uh, office, if it's multi-story and higher paying jobs, that has a a greater impact financially for a city or a town. So it has an impact without a doubt. Um, You know, property tax caps were long debated. They're a part of our constitution and Uh, There's a lot of merit in keeping property taxes low for people who live here in Indiana. 
and one of the competitive advantages that we see, even as you know, businesses are looking at, at relocating places, it creates a good environment, a stable environment for businesses who are looking at living here, but it does have an impact and that's the reality. Arts and cult- the Arts and Culture Commission was created and you've been heavily involved mm-hmm. in that. And I've uh, had a lot of contacts with people in the arts community for many years around Fishers. Uh, and that, that group is really just starting yeah. their work. So you've helped them get started. Where do you see them going from here? Now that you're leaving and you've got it on the way, where do you see that whole group going in terms of, of promoting the arts here? I'm, I am so excited about where this arts group is. So at our last Art and Culture Commission meeting in November, the, org, the commission adopted a master plan for arts and culture and fishers. And that was really the first step in bringing all the stakeholders to the table to say, who are we and where do we want to go? And so I'm, I'm so proud of the staff and the commissioners who put a lot of time. And we had a full committee that of wide variety of people from around the community who gave input. So I think where they go next is to start executing on that. So you're going to see investment and time in telling the story of arts and culture and fishers. One of the big takeaways of that process, and and we did some research and we we talked to different community members, is that we have so much happening in fishers that very few know all that's happening Mm -hmm. in fishers. So there's an opportunity to tell that story and to bring everyone to the table to do that. So you're gonna see uh, more kind of more awareness, I think, and more promotion of the cool things that are happening here by all partners, not just the city, um, our schools and and all the other groups who are doing so many neat things. You're going to see probably um, some discussion around as, as we look at what we have going on, where are the gaps and, and where do we want to focus our energy? And so I think as the Nickel Plate Trail starts developing, there's a lot of opportunity there to really engage and inspire through art and culture. Uh, I bl- you are still on the board of directors of Youth Assistance yes. Program. Are you still the council president? I am, Good. yes. Uh, you're going to remain on that? I board, will. I, would hope. I okay. sure will. And, and that's a, a group I've I've become familiar with, and yeah. they do outstanding work in Thank the community. You. So you'll st- you'll continue I will. to that's... be involved. Are you on some other nonprofit committees locally that you'll remain uh, I active am. in? Or? I plan to stay active in our disability committee and the work that's happening here. I'm pretty passionate about youth assistance. Um and, and what our Fisher's Advisory Committee on Disability are doing. I view both of those are really helping people live their best life and fulfill their greatest potential, and I think that's really important to our community. Um, I also on the board for Connor Prairie and, and plan to remain active on that board as well. Good. So you'll, your, your ties to Fisher's will continue, and one other tie to Fisher's will be that you will be working for a company that is yes. moving to Fishers. That's right. Now, they haven't started construction yet. They have they're not, no. On, they have a new a headquarters scheduled uh, near the Naviant building, mm-hmm. if that, and their I-69 there mm-hmm. uh, eventually will go up. And I know there have been a couple of amendments to yeah. their uh, agreement with the city. So I guess the first question is, uh, from what I heard, they are literally creating a new job and giving it to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, talk about what you'll be doing there. Yes, absolutely. So... Um, Knowledge Services is a really neat company. They they are a technology company and they deliver um, vendor management solutions to lots of different, to states, to the federal government and to some private industry as well. 
the founders of that company, Joe and Julie Belowski, live in Fishers and are friends. And they just, um, you know, they're, I've said this before, salt of the earth people. They just are genuinely great people who want to do a lot of good. And so I'm, I'm really thrilled to be joining their company. Um, so the role that I will be filling is helping oversee their public affairs and some of their marketing and outreach as well in Indiana and across the other states they work in. They're in 12 states, soon to be, I think, more. <laughs> so heading up that um, strategy. So they've not had a position solely responsible for that before. So um, some of that in the past has lived within marketing or within sales or within actual product delivery. And so I will be coming aboard to just help unify that uh, across the different channels. Um, and really excited to help tell their story a little bit. Um, and they've done some, they've done some really incredible work around cybersecurity and data as well. So they've got some neat things to yeah, share. The uh, name of the company doesn't always tell you what they do. Right. I think that was probably a marketing uh, thing itself, calling itself knowledge services. But mm-hmm. uh, what I have read and what you just said and what what I learned when they had their uh, big announcement, they were mm-hmm. coming here. It was outside, if I recall. Yeah. Um, yes. And they were basically saying we're a technology company, mm-hmm. but that's that's the knowledge. We're managing the knowledge through mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, people ask, what do these companies sure. do? That's really sure. kind of what they do yes. based on what you just said and what I have read. Yep. Now, in podcasts with me in the past... Uh, you have often spoke fondly, spoken fondly, yeah. I should say, of your days working your in and around the Indiana State House. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you telling me a story from was it Lou Gehrig? Oh boy! Who said that uh, <laughs> you know it may that the process may not look good, but you have a product in the end. I think that was the something quote like you gave that. me. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. Well, you have now announced plans to be a candidate for Brian Bosma's seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaker Bosma is leaving that post voluntarily he's deciding to go on to some other kind of work and interestingly enough uh, todd houston of fishers is now the yeah. uh speaker elect mm-hmm. who will be helping uh, with brian bosman taking over that after this coming mm-hmm. session is over so lots of fishers connections there with you and with mm-hmm. todd houston so i want to ask the question this way last time we talked you were considering mm-hmm. uh, a run for congress you decided not to do mm-hmm. that you have decided uh, to make a run for a state house seat. What I'd like you to do, just to, if you if you don't mind, talk about the process of yes. making the decision. Because I know you were looking at the congressional seat. Sure, yes. Uh, there were people who were urging you to. I know in the party I was hearing about that. Yes. And, and obviously that's where the, it all bubbled up publicly because people were talking about you. Uh, and you sent, and you gave us some thought and consideration. Decided not to yet. Now you've decided to make the run for the state house in, in the Indiana House. Talk about how those decisions were made and and, and what considerations you gave yes. to make those decisions. Well, this is um, this is that lesson in life where you say, "I never knew what was coming my way," and so you got to be open, um, I suppose, to that. If you had said to me a year ago. I would be going to Knowledge Services and running for state rep. I would have laughed you out of the room. I had no no way. Or even more so if you said, hey, this summer, you're actually going to contemplate a run for Congress. That was absolutely nowhere on my radar. And it did happen a lot, a lot like um, what you described when Congresswoman Brooks announced in June that she would not be running for reelection election um, 
I had a, a few folks apparently give my name to the the a, news. A few folks <laughs> <laughs> give my name to uh, to the news sources, and I'm I'm in, that's an honor. I had never thought of myself in that way, and so it was it was a different um, opportunity than I had thought about before, and so. You know, I, I took the calls. I, I went through that process. I talked to my husband. We talked to our kids. And um, ultimately, running for Congress was not the right thing for me to do, especially right now. And, um, you know, we've got kids in the schools. We were just talking about this. I've got one at, in the high school, one in junior high, one in intermediate and I think when we talked, I even said, you know, they're my why. They are absolutely my driving force behind um, a lot of the things I get involved with. And so, you know, we decided that wasn't the right thing for us right now. But humbled that it was even a discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it led to some of my discussions, actually, with Joe and Julie Belowski, who were supportive of that idea. And I said, oh, thank you very much for being supportive of me in that way. Not my thing right now. And it led to a discussion of this opportunity with their company. So um, put so a lot a of... there was a connection between the... A the, little bit, okay, right? It's yeah, what led to okay. us having coffee and okay. me saying thank you, but, uh-huh. you know, not right now. So um, I made that decision. This opportunity with Knowledge Services came about. And as we reflected, you know, my husband and I reflected on timing it did feel like now might be the right time to transition from the city. The role of deputy mayor is not a forever role. <laughs> um, and I've had... Um, it's not, mayor is usually not forever unless, of course, you live Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I couldn't well, resist. I'm but sorry. I mean, I, I've been a part of... The, I, I can't even describe the incredible opportunity mm-hmm. that I've had. And, and so looking at this next opportunity... I just started feeling like yeah. this might be the right time to make that transition. So I had that conversation with Knowledge Services, with their team, and started feeling like, you know, this is the right path I'm meant to be on. And the day before I was meeting with them to kind of finalize details, I had a few people give me a call. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, we heard that Speaker Bosma is not going to run again. Would you be interested in thinking about this? We think you'd be great. Do you great. live in that district right now? I live now? in that district. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I've lived in this district since 2004. Okay. So um, so that came, again, sort of out of the blue. And I sat down and I talked to um, you know my new bosses at Knowledge Services. And I said, this has come up. I don't know what I think about it. Throwing it on the table. And they were incredibly encouraging, you know. Um, it should be said that people in the Indiana legislature almost, I think, well, I won't say almost, always have a, a job. You, that's yes. not a full-time oh, job. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's a part-time job. So, At best, yes. Yes, exactly. So the, I, hours are, the hours are pretty heavy. They are. Uh, they are. Outside, it's a commitment. Session. It's a big commitment, but I, but I think there's a misunderstanding of the public. We really kind of do have a citizen legislature. That's right. And that whether you think it's a good or bad idea, it is. Those everybody in the legislature I have ever known has had a full-time job doing something else. That's right. And so, so, that, so, it's not so we like, had this conversation. Yeah. They said, this is great. Let's figure it out. And so that really opened the door for me to even consider it. Mm-hmm. You know, their support um, meant a lot. And so we contemplated it. And it was actually the day before Thanksgiving. Um, my husband and I were talking. We were talking to the kids. And we said, 
let's do this. You know, for whatever reason, the set of experiences that I have had position me well to be effective, I think, in um, the state legislature. And I hope that, um, you know, we're going to campaign. We'll do the best we can. And if we're successful, I hope that I can take a lot of what we've done here in Fishers in approaching old problems in new ways and being entrepreneurial and in um, kind of paving new paths. I hope we can take that to the state house. All right. So that's, uh, well, I guess it's too early to tell because people don't even file till next year, but you don't know mm-hmm. whether you'll have a primary opponent. You will probably have a general election op- right. uh, opponent, one or two campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you up ready for that? I am. I'm excited. I am. I think it's, it's, it's a whole new adventure. So in, on one hand, I feel like I just jumped off a cliff, and I'm hoping the parachute opens. <laughs> but on the that other... A, that is a great way of describing On the other that. side, you know, I mean, I, I love talking about public policy, and I, I think that um, if we can keep people and the outcomes as the, you know, at the forefront, I love learning. I like meeting people. I think it's going to be a fun process. You know, my father spent most of his career working for the Defense Department as a federal civil servant. I was a federal employee Mm -hmm. for 28 years. Sometimes people say journalism is public service. I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, But I've done that uh, before and after my government service. But uh, I'm, I'm worried about public service being tarnished by some of the political rhetoric of our day. So I would like to ask you this, as someone who has been involved in government, some, even though you're going to the private sector, you're interested in staying in public mm-hmm. service because you're running for office at the same time. Uh, are you worried about what's being said about public service in our current climate? Mm-hmm. If some, Let's say someone comes to you and they're considering a current public service, be it as a staff member like you have been or an elected official. And say, I'm worried about this because I'm seeing this this public debate, and I'm 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 just a little concerned mm-hmm. about being a public servant. What is your response to that person? I'm I'm not going to get this quote right because I I just don't have it committed to memory. But John Adams was known for saying something to the effect of, "If good people don't stand up and choose to serve." If honest people, and it kind of goes down the line, right? Mm -hmm. Others will. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all own a piece of that, whether it's the way we interact on Facebook or social media or in person or the choices that we make to stand up and serve. We all own a piece of that, um, the credibility and, and bringing civility back to our conversations. Um, so I don't know. It, I, I agree there does, you know, you've heard Mayor Fatness say this, like mm-hmm. politician doesn't have a great connotation. Um, but even a public servant. Public servant sometimes, I mean, sometimes like, doesn't either. Uh, yeah, that's kind of yeah, a, a there's, politician. There's this yeah. assumption of the worst mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it does put a lot of pressure on candidates and public service officials, um, you have to hold yourself to an even higher standard then, right? You have to work a little bit harder because you are going into an area that is perceived right now to not be very pretty. 
And I'll tell you that the day we announced um, that I was running for state rep, that Monday after Thanksgiving, I shared this with the mayor too. I said, I felt a weight I hadn't anticipated. And it was a weight of the responsibility that I think this, even being a candidate, let alone a public office holder, carries. And I've been a public official appointed for four and a half years, but I hadn't felt the weight quite like this when you put your name out there and you put yourself on the line. And I hope that that weight doesn't necessarily go away because I think it's a reminder of the responsibility we do carry. You know, I want my kids, my sons, um, to grow up and and to be able to have hard conversations in a respectful way. And I want them to view public service as something that is um, dignified. And so I think we have some work to do to get back to that. So you would encourage that person to go into public service if they ask you that question? I think if they're doing it for the right reasons, mm-hmm. right? Like um, if, if we had a conversation, I said, why are you doing this? And they... They had things that they really believed in and they believed they could make a difference and they were doing it for the right reasons. Yes, because I think we need more people to stand up and do that. Now, Mayor Fadden is maybe one of the best persons to ask that question. He called himself the reluctant candidate. Yes. He kind of had to be talked into it. Once he was in, he Mm -hmm. was all in. Right. uh, He he had to, you know, consider it pretty carefully at the time. So I guess the last question, we're about done with time. Just time goes very fast. It goes so fast. any parting thoughts as you move on to the next step and or steps in, in your career? Oh, man. Um, I'll tell you, these last few weeks and few days are very bittersweet um, here at the city. I just, I love the people that I've had an opportunity to serve with, to work with, and to get to know in the community. Um, I think that's probably what I'll miss the most. I hope to continue to be a part of it. And, um, and you know, I'll be around. I live here. I work here. My kids are here. So they can't get rid of me that easily, I suppose. But um, I guess I would just want to thank everybody that's given me this opportunity and that I've had the pleasure to work with for making it so special and incredible. Well, thanks. For, you've always been kind to me. Anytime I did anything, you always responded. So I appreciate that. And wish you well. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area. So check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.